Welcome to With That Being Said, a podcast on life, love, and everything in between. I'm so glad you've decided to join the conversation. Hi, I'm Esther Boykin. And I'm Erica Turner. With that being said, love Love is not not a (laughs) drive-thru. I, I, I'm excited to sort of talk about this. I mean, we'll talk about a lot of things, I'm sure, to the, as we always do. But this idea of, like, sort of convenience. Yeah. Getting in the way of people really having, like, the love life they want. Right. So. It turns out love is not like 7-Eleven. Yeah, apparently. Not so much. Not so much. Well, or maybe Shocking. it is a little bit like 7-Eleven. Like, if you choose to go to 7-Eleven, just be clear. Right. About the quality you're going to check. Exactly. You're gonna get. As long as you're okay with maybe getting an intestinal disease, then you're cool. Right. Like, it's totally fine. Like, you know, it it's that choice piece, right? Like, right. If, do you want quick and easy? In which case, like, by all means, get that. Go for know, it. Old hot dog from 7-Eleven. We've all been there. It's We've fine. all been there. Or maybe it's time that you want something a little bit more substantial and meaningful and nourishing and all of those nice things. Right. In which case, 7-Eleven's not your spot anymore no and you're gonna have to put some a little bit more work and effort into finding that because that isn't like just all over the place no it's not super convenient it really isn't which our guest today can talk about (laughs) along with lots of other really important uh dating advice um kevin is a funny guy i am excited to have him on today yeah so today's guest is Kevin Carr. He's an author, a speaker, creator of one of my most favorite hashtags, date responsibly. <laughs> you can find him at KevinSCar.com and on Twitter at Kev underscore Carr, Carr with two R's. Uh, Kevin, how are you? I'm good. How are you? Good. Excited to have you on. Yeah, happy to, I'm happy to be here. <laughs> Thanks for coming on the podcast today, Kevin. You're welcome. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. So let's start. I feel like a lot of times I always like to kick it off with, you know, give me the 30 second bio. Like, who is Kevin Carr? How did we get to date responsibly and all the other interesting things you like to do? Uh, geez. Uh, 30 seconds. Uh, well, I am a, um, I always, because people always ask you, like, what are you? Like, you know, what are you? Are you a dating expert? And I always kind of struggle with uh, a label. Um, I'm like Joe Osteen, like how he's a pastor, but he just calls himself Joe Osteen, so he can do all these different things. So <laughs> I'm just Kevin, you know. I write about dating. Um, I got to this point uh, from a, ironically, from a conversation. Um, well, two conversations. One was with a family member who was uh, nine months pregnant. I was taking her to the hospital to get her labor induced. And uh, her uh, father of the baby was nowhere to be, uh, be found. And I was perplexed by that. Um, I, at the time, I was working in finance. I went to my job, well, this job, and talked to a friend of mine and was telling her, um, you know, just I was confused by it. You know, I was confused about um, how uh, my family member, who was very dear to me, could kind of put up with um, just uh, irresponsible behavior from somebody that she was attached to. And uh, that friend told me to write a book. And uh, I guess she was a prophet because I went to my desk and literally wrote the introduction. Um, that book was called If All Men Are Dogs, um, Then Women You Hold the Leash. And that, had, that morphed into um, writing for Essence and kind of just 
uh, honing kind of a niche message really just I realized that I really wasn't passionate about uh, some of the things that you do Esther is just talk about you know help people in their relationships mm-hmm. um, I'm not really you know to find somebody that you like I hope it works out but I don't want anything to do with it and so um, but I did realize I was very passionate about dating and so here we are I like that. I think the last time I saw that was like three minutes, though. Sorry, I know it's supposed to be. That's fine. It's perfectly fine. I think you're actually on the shorter end. I think at some point we need to like give a prize. We'll go back and we'll figure out who gave the shortest shortest. thirty second. Yeah, nobody's getting it in thirty seconds. (laughs) But I like what you said. I think the last time I saw you, we were actually on a panel together and we um, talked about you know basically you want to help people sort of eventually find that one, like navigate that whole process till they get in the relationship and then um i like to help them actually stay in that relationship and i well i should say erica and i that mean we both sort of do the same thing so right so erica i know you had some questions too about you know just sort of the book and yeah you you know reading you know various things that you have written kevin kevin and it's always really insightful and interesting and there were just a couple of sort of themes that I thought that I was picking up on. We'll see if I actually was. Um, but one of one of them was, I noticed you had said a few times, um, you talk about this process that men will only go as far as women let them. And I wondered yeah. if you could talk a little bit more about that, like elaborate yeah. that a little bit more. Uh, I think in a very practical sense, it's just even from... Um, well, I guess traditionally, um, it's not always this way, but from our approach, you know, like we, um, you know, from the very first conversation, if the woman isn't at the least, at the uh, very least interested, the conversation doesn't even pick up. Um, we only uh, get the right number if you're interested, you know, like even from the first date process. So I think in general, um, a person can only go as far as you let them. Uh, that doesn't excuse us of um, a person of being who they're supposed to be, but um, bottom line is you're going to meet people that aren't. And, um, you know, the people that you allow in your life and that you allow to attach uh, to your heart, um, you know, that's a, that's a choice. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I like that. That sense of, I mean, it's sort of, it's that piece of responsibility or accountability mm-hmm. and kind of the idea that we, we have more control over yeah. our dating life than we think we do or how people treat us. Um, than we think we do, which is not to say that they're not people doing things who will ignore those boundaries, but that I think there is sometimes that sense of like, oh gosh, you know, guys are always dogging me out or this person's always doing this. I'm sure it goes both ways. You know, guys feel like, oh, women are always, you know, whatever, using me for this thing or that thing. And that if you are feeling that in a consistent way, then maybe it's also about what you are allowing in your life. Yeah, like you can't, you know, you can't control who approaches you. You can't control really who maybe asks for your time. But you can't control who you give your time to. You can't, you can't control who you, you know, who you allow you in your life. Right. Well, and I'm, I'm wondering too, like thinking about why women in particular, but even men sometimes, you know, allow someone to remain, and it mm-hmm. feels like there's this allow someone to stay in their life who is not really like either not expressing like real interest, like it's just kind of hooking up and calling them after 10 PM and that kind of thing. And I feel like sometimes when you're in that mode, you kind of have this belief that maybe things will be different down the line. That maybe this, does that kind of echo with what you see as well? 
yeah, like you know, people. I think sometimes we, um, sometimes we believe uh, the best of people that that don't necessarily show us that. You know, we feel like, oh, at some point, this person they don't want to be in a relationship now, but six months from now, um, they'll change. No, they won't. <laughs> right. And so it's really just you know just taking people for who they. I believe in taking people for who they are. You know, that doesn't make you a bad person, or, uh, but you know, once you show me kind of who you are, you know, I just take you for that. I, I, you know, I, I have the benefit because I'm a, I'm a, I'm an optimist, but I'm also a realist. And so, um, in dating, I think you have to, you know, it's important to be a realist. You know, not um, taking people for who you want them to be, but really realizing who they are and what you actually bring to the table, um, and judging it for that. Right. Do you ever feel sort of like a dream killer, like having to sell, say to women in particular, like, like no, dude, he's not going to call you, like, or he's not going to stop just trying to hook up with you. It's it's this is what it is. Yeah, all the time. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like you know, you meet people and it's like, no, this is what's really going on here. <laughs> <laughs> and then you have to watch like their crestfallen expression, just sad. Yeah, they're yeah. so sad. But I do, I feel like sometimes what people perceive as like a dream killer, like I'm really saying like, I want you to hold on to your dream. Like I want you to still, I want you to genuinely believe that you will find a person who is as crazy about you as you are about them and, and that you're going to have that. I just, you're never going to find that if you don't move on. (laughs) Yeah. Like, it's like, you know, like you said, like, I believe in all those things. I'm all optimist. I believe in love and I believe that you should find exactly what you're looking for. But like you said, is there's a process of, um, I mean, you had to be cliche, kissing a few frogs before you get to the prince or princess. You know, it's just you're weeding through that process, you know, that dating process. But like you said, if you stay in these situations that aren't healthy for you or aren't producing what you like, then you just, you know, you kind of um, hinder your own search, you know? Yeah, I mean, it's interesting you bring that up because, you know, I've had both clients and friends and probably myself when I was single um, say, well, what's wrong with, you know, staying in this relationship where, you know, I want more and they don't want more, you know, at least I'm getting sex out of it or at least I'm getting affection out of it um, or whatever, you know, at least some of my needs are being met, if not what I really want to happen. Mm -hmm. I just think, you know, and I've done it, you know, I've done it, but it's like, you you know, you only can go so long, um, you know, the more you, just because it's convenient, it's convenient doesn't mean it's good for you, you know? Mm-hmm. And I think that some of the things that most of us want, whether it's love and family and marriage, these things are long-term goals, and we do ourselves a disservice by just indulging in what can be, what can be produced for us right now. You know, yes, I have somebody to cut it with and I have somebody to go to the movies with and have sex with. But at the end of the day, that's not, that situation, if it isn't able to produce what we want long term, we're just just spinning wheels, you know? And we're just creating more baggage emotionally and physically. So if we ever do meet that person, now we're just bringing more baggage to the table. Right. I like what you said, too, there about, like, it's not convenient. Like, marriage is not convenient. And having kids is not convenient. They're yeah. great things. They're wonderful. But I would not describe them as convenient. No. So no. if you kind of have that mindset, like, you're working towards something that it is in, uh, in and of itself work. Mm-hmm. Like, those things are work, and you do have to put effort and time and attention to them. And people don't seem to think that 
they they seem to think it's unfair or I should say we because I've thought those things too when I was single um (laughs) that it's unfair how difficult it is to find someone that's kind of the sense that I get like why is this so hard why is this taking so long I don't know if you get some of that too yeah I mean I think I think it's a natural thing to feel like it's like wow this really is a process one of the things that I've I've done I don't know if you noticed um Esther um because we've met um, in last February, so it's been some time, and my and my content probably over the last six months has been really personal. You know, um, I've actually been writing about my own dating experiences. Like, how do you do that? You know, talk about awkward. <laughs> but uh, one of the things is like, you know, it's a process of finding the right fit. You know, it has to be the right person, the right fit at the right time. And yeah, it's um, can be challenging to find that. But think about. You know, I think sometimes when we don't think about when we're single, um, we're just kind of thinking about that moment of being single. And I think that when we are able to open our minds to what we're trying to create, which is a life and a family and um, a foundation, that's a process, too. You know, so and you have to create that with the right person. So that's why it can be um I don't know if difficult is the right word, but it can be um, challenging to find that person because what you're trying to create is unique. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I was, the thing that I, I like, and I have, I did notice that, is mm-hmm. you have all these posts and it's always what I'm learning about dating. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And in mm-hmm. fact, it, every time I read them, I think, I'm like, I really should start a series like what I'm learning about marriage. But I like that it's, it's in an active tense. It's not like yeah. what I've learned about dating, so now let me tell you how to do it. But it's sort of like you are actively in this process and saying, mm-hmm. here's what I'm learning so far. And yeah. so it, and it really is this constant learning process. And then you find somebody and then it's, you know, then <laughs> it's kindergarten all over again. You're still learning. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm curious just to, if you feel like writing about dating kind of impacts how you date or how you think about dating, like the relationship between writing about these issues versus living these issues, like how that's, how that works for you. Yeah, I mean, it, it impacts everything. You know, it impacts, um, you know, you, you feel a certain sense of responsibility to an extent because you're like, wow, I'm here writing about day and I have to, I got to get it right, you know, and you feel, um, but it also impacts, like I said, like, especially the content that's really personal. It, it, it um, makes me more intentional. You know, and then it also impacts it to the point where it's like, you know, you're dating and people are like, are you going to write about me or, you know, is this interview? (laughs) (laughs) So um, it impacts a bit of everything. Yeah, I can definitely see that. Um, I also I wanted to touch on um, an article that you wrote for Essence, and I think it was called 10 Things That Would Make Him Run. Oh, yes. (laughs) (laughs) it was interesting because um esther and i had worked on an article like a couple months ago called something like why didn't he call and it was kind of similar similar kind of ideas like what makes somebody sort of jump ship and you know not tell you or leave the process pretty early on but it was interesting because you came up with different stuff than esther and i had come up with Mm -hmm. so 
I was just curious, um, like one of the things you'd said, um, much to my dismay and hurt, Kevin, you said oh. that <laughs> you don't You're want in trouble, a woman Kevin. to be a psychologist. Yeah. <laughs> it's very upsetting. It's a good thing that Eric and I are both married. Yeah. <laughs> in trouble. Yes, exactly. No, I'm kidding, but I thought it was interesting. And I just mm-hmm. thought maybe we could elaborate or we could talk a little bit more about some of those things. Including why yeah. they're not allowed to be therapists. <laughs> you know what's funny? That probably was um, one of my uh, favorite articles to write because uh, literally, to, and I shouldn't say I wrote it because literally, um, I have a group chat with maybe about four or five of my buddies. Um, and I just got in a group chat and just said, hey, listen, I'm writing an article about uh, this is the topic. Uh, I need you guys to vent. And he just, I mean, he went off. <laughs> so, uh, <laughs> It was there, and then uh, one of my, and it, I got it from um, all different avenues. At that time, uh, one of my friends was engaged. He's now married, but at the time he was engaged, then another one of my buddies was married. Another one um, had a living girlfriend, so and uh, two other guys were single. So, you know, it was just a good mix of opinions. And I think that particular, uh, so the psychologist one, it's like sometimes men, um, we don't necessarily, we don't want you to analyze it. We just want you to kind of just. Listen, you know, like sometimes it's like you, you ever ask somebody a question, but you don't really want them to answer it. Um, you just kind of want to get the question out. And so sometimes we don't always want advice or it to be complicated. We just want you to just say, huh, OK, we just want to know that you listen, but we don't want you to necessarily tell us what to do. Got it. So technically, you really do want a good therapist. <laughs> yeah, don't want you to recommend that's what a anything. Good therapist, right? Yeah. Yeah. You don't you always don't have want the advice giving one, right? Yeah. No, I think that that makes sense. And I, Eric and I both were kind of laughing about it, but it's it is interesting that despite sort of, I mean, you know, we obviously have some level of professional expertise in the area, but I thought it was interesting too to just sort of have. Which and now that you've talked about the process of writing it and kind of hearing from your like that it's a very male perspective and how the, yeah. those gender differences, well, it's not one hundred percent true for everybody that there is sort of that you come at it from a very different place and mm-hmm. and what that even just the phrasing because I think that there's probably some overlap but how we might say it mm-hmm. be it as therapists or be it as women versus how a bunch of guys might sort of phrase something is right. definitely different. Right. And it's just, you know, and sometimes it's even simple things. Like, I think sometimes women feel like um, one of the things, I don't know if it was in this article or another one, but uh, the guys were just saying, you know, women feel like, you know, you have to be like a sports fan. You know, and it's just like, you know, spitting out these stats and stuff like that. No, you don't necessarily have to be a sports fan. Just don't bother them while you watch the sports. You know, like, you know, let me have a beer and a pizza and watch the game. And you don't know, you don't have to bother me. <laughs> <laughs> but that's actually interesting. I we have some friends, and I sort of I do remember um, one person in particular. His girlfriend really, you know, he's really into sports, and mm-hmm. her really making a lot of effort to get into it, and kind of thinking, I don't know if he really wants her to be into it. Like, like, yeah, <laughs> like I think in some ways, like I think, like my husband, I think has appreciates like that my level of interest in things like football which really has less to do with him and more to do with the fact that my son played (laughs) so I cared like that's nice like that's a thing we do together that we Mm -hmm. enjoy doing together but I don't even know if that's true for like a lot of guys like I think we have a lot of male friends who they don't mind that I come but they don't really want their girlfriends (laughs) to come out 
and like watch the game, whether she will show an interest or not. Like it's sort of their me time. And I think sometimes Mm -hmm. we forget that that's an important part of being in a relationship, whether you're dating or like in a committed relationship, some time to do your thing and still have things that are your thing. Yeah. The other person doesn't have to love it. Right. Or even be involved. I don't need my husband coming to my girl's brunch where we drink a bunch of mimosas. Like I don't need that. (laughs) No, absolutely right. Um, one of the other things you said that I agreed with, but I, I just I just thought it was clever the way you phrased it. You said, be a queen, not a princess. Yeah. And I just thought that was a really, I don't know if you could elaborate a little bit more for people who didn't read the article, but. <laughs> uh, I actually don't even remember why I said that. <laughs> but uh, I would gather that, uh, you know, I think that there's a line between um, what's the word? Um, you know, just don't be too needy. Mm-hmm. You know, there's a line where uh, I need you to do this, but when it's like needy, it's, it can be, gee, it can be, um, um, it can not want to say hassle, but it can just be begrudging. You know, it just has to be um, just power and security. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I can see it. And I think in some ways we have, you know, I mean, we sort of have an image of princesses as being needed, as needing to be rescued, right. which yeah. not only keeps the woman in a box, but it also then keeps their partner in a box. Like, then you have to be the knight in shining armor. You don't get the freedom to sort of be something else versus yeah. like we treat queens specially. Like they, respect. With respect and with, you know, some honor and we want to do really nice things for them. Mm. But we also see them as very capable. Yeah. Unlike the princess yeah. sort of idea, like the princess is needy and she's always mm-hmm. like in the tower needing to yeah. be rescued. And the queen is sort of like, she's directing things. She's yeah. doing things. She's like, respected and looked up to, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And she still has needs. And, but I, and I wonder if, especially since you've got your group chat, like if guys ever talk about the fact that, you know, that you do have your own set of needs that you would like someone to attend to. And that sometimes when I think men and women are sort of pushed into these stereotypical roles, Mm -hmm. um, either somewhat willingly or for, you know, however you get there, that it sort of diminishes the opportunity for guys to be more complex than the stereotypical, like I like sports and sex and, beer and burgers and that's it you know like that there is much more to um every man out there they they're much more complicated than that no i i agree you know it's just you know there's definitely a unique sense of vulnerability that even men um when you get to a place when you're comfortable with a woman you know you just kind of open up to an extent because and it's funny because you open up um you know, men open up to women in ways that they never will never open up to even their closest friend at times, you know? Mm-hmm. Because even and I, I, my best friend, who, like I said, my brother, I've known since I was eight years old, um, you know, uh, he's been with me all my life. But even in that situation, it's a man and men, you know, you possess a certain pride and a certain ego. So there are things that you don't, won't necessarily divulge or you won't divulge them in a way um, that you will to a woman that cares for you, you know? Mm-hmm. And so I, it's just, you know, it's a weird thing. So those needs are definitely real and definitely there. Yeah. 
Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, and I, that goes to something that, you know, once you're sort of in a committed relationship or yeah. marriage that, I'm ta- that I talk about with couples all the time is that, you know, the marriage should be a place where you can be your tender self or you can be your vulnerable self. Um, and that deepens the connection between the two of you that there are things you can only share with this person. Um, you know, that this is kind of your go-to person, the soft place for your heart, essentially. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So. I always yeah. like that phrase. <laughs> what? The soft place for your heart. I always think that's a nice <laughs> way to think about your relationships. That's a, that's a real relationship goal. <laughs> yeah. No, definitely. <sighs> well, Kevin... This has been super fascinating stuff. I mean, it's always interesting to me to, I like getting a male perspective and it's not that I, I don't, I genuinely don't subscribe to the whole like men are from Mars kind of mindset. Like everybody's from earth. (laughs) We're all from here, but we do approach things very differently. We're socialized differently. We have different sets of experiences and definitely different expectations. And so I really appreciate um, not only you coming on the show, but just your openness and really sharing that in a way that I think um, just makes dating a little bit, easier. I mean, I've been married a really long time, but dating seems kind of awful and scary. Yeah, <laughs> it's a bit of a, um, yeah. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> like, totally <laughs> worth the effort. I'm not, in no way am I saying, like, stop dating people, but, um, but I think having, you know, a voice like yours out there who's, you know, just sharing some, some wisdom and some perspective and, and opening up the conversation, which is kind of like totally what we're about on this show is, is yeah. helping people to talk more about these things that matter in our lives. Right. Yeah, no, I think it's important. You know, I think it's important to just be open about um, the process. You know, we hear we because the thing is, we, we're bombarded with a bunch of content that isn't um, conducive to really uh, a lot of the things that we most of us want to produce. You know, and we can't we can't produce um, anything that isn't um, consistent with what we, what we consume on a regular basis. Right. Yeah. And then I should say anything said that anyway. What'd you say? I said I should say anything. We can't produce anything opposite of what we you know what we consistently consume. Yeah. Right. So we can say we want, you know, we want happy marriages and happy lives, happy wives, happy husbands, and we want to be loved and give love and all these things. But um, if that's not what we feed ourselves consistently and what we indulge in, then we'll never see what we say we want. Right. Yeah. I think that's a really important message and and a totally good reason for people to go check you out online. So again, it's KevinSCar.com. Um, as he said, he's apparently the Joel Olstein of dating. I didn't know, but he is. Yeah. <laughs> Books, articles, blogs. Um, he's definitely uh, a good person to follow on Instagram. He's always got like really good uh, quotes and, and all the really smart things that he is currently learning about dating. Uh, check him out for sure. Yes, please. I'm not. Don't be a stranger. I am. Um, I talk to strangers. <laughs> right. Exactly. Sort of rule number one of good dating. I think you got to talk to strangers, talk right? To strangers. Hey, there you go. I'm gonna write something about this. Thank you. <laughs> All right. Well, Kevin, thank you again for joining us today. Totally appreciate it. Um, we are 
always excited. We don't get a lot of guys on the sh- on the podcast, so it's awesome. Thank yeah, you. It was a real pleasure today, Kevin. Oh, thank you for having me. Then I'll see you guys soon. I got to come to DC, so um, I'll be there soon. I'm coming to your event too. That's it. Awesome! Yay! So, so that's my reply. That's my. That's reply. your official reply. So don't look for an email. That's fantastic. <laughs> but no, I'll email you because you said something about a panel or something like that. So yes, I did. I will send you details and I will put you on the list. And um, and when this episode goes live, you can find out details about that in the show notes too. Sweet. Thanks, Kevin. All right. Thank you. <laughs> Bye. So that was a really great conversation with Kevin, I thought. Yeah. I really like him and I really like his perspective. And it's nice to, you know, we talk a lot about dating and relationships here, but of course we talk a lot about that with women. So Mm -hmm. it is definitely nice to be talking to a man and having a male perspective. Um, And I really liked what he said um, where, you know, he was sort of quoting like, women I guess women he's talked to and them sort of saying like oh like this guy doesn't want to be in a relationship now but six months from now he's going to be ready and then him having like Kevin having to sort of go in and be like the dream killer and be like no like just let it go like it's not it's not going to work this isn't going to work yeah and it's interesting which I think is part of the benefit of that male perspective because I was I was telling you I was listening to this podcast and they were talking about Oddly enough, the podcast was actually genuinely talking about food. So they were talking about avocados. <laughs> but they brought up this article that came out because I don't eat avocados really, but my mom loves avocados. And anybody who loves them kind of knows. Like, you buy an avocado and it's not ripe. It's never ripe when you buy it. And so, like, it's not ripe. It's not ripe. It's not ripe. You keep checking. And there's this tiny sliver of window where suddenly it's ripe and it's ready. And, like, if you miss that, like, tiny fraction of a day yes when it's ready then it's done like yeah. it's gone it's, it's over, over. Gotta throw it away it's like this brown it's disgusting mess. brown grossness yes yeah but the article and now the podcast they were basically saying like basically men are like avocados like they're not ready they're not ready they're not ready and then there's like this window and if you're not there for that window like then you've missed them like they've gone off they've married somebody else or whatever happens right and i think as women unfortunately we sort of perpetuate this story because i'm like and i'm not saying that that's not maybe true on sort of like a very global way like in terms of like overall just kind of maturing in relationships but really like if you're hungry now like stop waiting for the avocado to get right (laughs) go in the fridge go to the store you know like pull out some lettuce like find something else find something else that's ready when you're ready like rather than sort of staying stuck in this space like we don't you don't have to wait in this like for this magic moment where this person might be ready because the other part is what happens if they're ready but they're not ready for For you? you yeah you know and I think you know, I, I try to, I'm a pretty practical, like pragmatic kind of therapist. Uh-huh. <laughs> but the truth is, like, at my core, like, I'm a bit of like a hopeless romantic. And so I really do mostly subscribe to the idea that, like, if you're the one, right? Like, if, and I think everybody has more than one, the, the one. But if you have met somebody and they genuinely want to be in a relationship with you, 
the day before they met you, they could have said that they weren't ready for a serious relationship. And then they will have met you and gotten, and as they get to know you, they will decide, I want to do whatever it takes to be ready. Right. Because I want to be in a committed relationship with this person. Like, it isn't something that happens in a vacuum. It happens in the context of the people that we meet. Exactly. And I think everybody deserves to be with somebody who... um, Wants them. Wants them. Somebody who's as crazy about you as you are about them. Right. Yeah, no, I totally agree with you. I think that, you know, if you are sort of putting yourself out there in an honest and sort of thoughtful way and someone else is not connecting to that, that isn't our cue to sort of hope that this person realizes how amazing we are. And, you know, we're kind of talking about it a little flippantly, I guess, but we've all done it. Like we've all had people that we were attracted to, that we liked, that we were drawn to. And we don't consciously say to ourselves, like, I'm going to wait until this person is ready, or at least most of the time we don't. (laughs) Hopefully we don't. (laughs) But, you know, we keep going to whatever, going like, you know, when I was in college, like going to the party where I thought that guy was going to be or, you know, trying to be friends with his friend because maybe he'll introduce me or Mm -hmm. we'll get a good conversation going. And it's like, if this person hasn't sort of expressed the same sort of interest, especially if you've made your own interest very clear, like I'm very big on let's cut through the noise and let me tell you, like, I like you. Like, I like you. I would like to date you. Like, you know, yeah. <laughs> I've done that. And sure, there is an awkward moment and it hasn't always worked out well, but then it's done. Like, it's over. I'm not sitting there right. wondering how this person feels about me, even if they look at me and they're like, no, I'm not really interested. I'm like, well, that sucks, but it's over. Now I know. Now it's over, and now I can move on. But I think sometimes we want to keep, like, the fantasy of this person alive, right? Like, the fantasy yeah. itself is so much better than the reality. Really <laughs> that we sort of get stuck keeping the fantasy of this person and, you know, the babies that we could make and the, yeah. like, house we could have and the life we could have. We want to keep that alive. And it's... It can be to our detriment. I mean, I think, you know, I think you and I have both worked with clients who maybe they're getting some of their needs met from Mm -hmm. someone like that. You know, maybe they're, you know, having sex or they're having that affection or they're having that, like, somebody to take them in movies, kind of as Kevin was saying. But if you're single, like, being single is a numbers game. Like, if you're single and you're spending time with someone who doesn't have a potential to be the one... You are literally wasting your time. Yeah. Like that is every hour you are with that person is an hour that could have been spent with either eliminating somebody else out of the pool or potentially meeting somebody who you could have some sort of long-term future with. I mean, I think there is that. And I agree. I mean, we've been saying it somewhat flippantly, which is really easy with my like super old married life. Well, yeah. And (laughs) but my kind of old married life. Right. (laughs) But I do think. Um, and to be perfectly honest, which I, you know, I'm not sure that this is going to be encouraging to anybody, but I'm going to say it anyway. Part of my motivation in saying it is going like, listen, I'm on the other side mm-hmm. of finding the one. Like, I adore my husband. I think he's fantastic. Let me tell you, it is a lot of freaking work. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> like, it's not like you get to the other side and you just get to stop working now. Right. Like, like I found you and now I'm done. Yay, it's done. It's magical. Like, no, you might as well start. I mean, in some ways, it's kind of like building 
that muscle. Mm-hmm. Like, I think it's, um, it's like training for like to climb Mount Everest. Like, yeah. <laughs> like when you're done training, <laughs> then you got to climb the mountain. Like, then there's this whole other level of work and you have only prepared for maybe like base camp. Yeah. Like 40 <laughs> to 50, maybe you've really put in some extra effort, 60% of what's to come. Like there is easily another like 40 to 50% that you have no idea what is coming your way. Exactly. You kind of have to like, where's that? Motive, you know, you've got to like dig deep and go, like, all right, I got to really like get into this dating thing and all the really hard work that's involved and get serious about it. Yeah. And I don't like, I'm not going to pretend I certainly enjoy the work of marriage more than I enjoy the work of dating. (laughs) Like, if I'm being honest, like, I certainly did. The view is better. The view is better. (laughs) But I was, because of that, because I just dating sucks in so many ways like you have to deal with the rejection mm. you have to deal with like being super social or putting yourself out there which was not my bag especially at that time ironically I think I have better skills to be a dater <laughs> now <laughs> than I was then which is unfortunate um because I don't plan to divorce my husband um hopefully so you know but because of that I was sort of ruthless about cutting people like Mm-hmm. I, you know, I, we've talked about like, I had a three date rule. If I wasn't hype about you in three dates and you weren't interested in three dates, like I was ending it. Like yeah. I made that rule after going through the whole, like I have a crush on this person. I like them. I don't know if they like me. I got so tired of doing that jazz over and over and over again. I was just like, look, three dates. If we're not mutually interested in three dates, let's go. Let's, let's, be, let's, done with it. let's be done with it. Yeah. Let's not play around. And I, I think there's a time piece and then there's also the emotional investment like if I like someone and I'm into someone and I'm putting my emotional energy there it takes it away from that one time I go on a date with somebody else yeah you know what I mean like if I'm still sort of hankering for this person and wondering what could be then I'm sitting at this date with this other person you know comparing Comparing them and all of that kind of stuff so that's why you know it's it's brutal in some ways i think like you know snipping people out right at the beginning but it's so much less work on the back end yeah there's a painful like shot up front and then it's just done yeah then you're like oh this is better yeah this is okay now yeah (laughs) i can report from here and i think um you know i do like a like once a month beginning of the month i kind of do like this like blog post and, and newsletter that's like my monthly edit and so last month was in fact that was my quote like i always try to have a quote that like kind of frames it and it was nate burkus and he and i love it because a i love to sign i buy a lot of stuff so it helps me to stop buying so many things but he basically is like you know to be good at interior design or like when designing your home you need to be a ruthless editor Mm -hmm. like ask yourself what does this thing mean to me but I feel like that transcends like dating relationships like your whole life like you do on some level need to be a ruthless editor of being able to say like what is it that I want what do I value and if it's not happening here then like this has got to go right it's not necessarily that it's a bad thing right it's just it doesn't need to be here in my life or in, you know, like he could be a great guy, but he doesn't want what I want. So I'm moving on or whatever the situation is. Exactly. Yeah. So I love that. So let's jump into RLW, read, listen, watch. I know you have something interesting today. So 
I'm actually excited to hear about this. Yes. So I have a book that I read recently, um, maybe two months ago, something like that. I finished it Um, and I read it slowly over time because that's how I'm reading things now. Um, (laughs) It's your reading. (laughs) It's called The Man Who Wasn't There. And it is by Anil, um, and then I'm going to spell his last name. I'm not even going to try to say it. Okay, I'm going to try to say it so that people can laugh at me and get some amusement. <laughs> Anantha Swami, maybe? So it's A-N-A-N-T-H-A-S-W-A-M-Y. Anantha Swami. That's Anantha what I was Swami. I tried to find a video of him saying his name and could not find one. I really did, folks. So I did the best I could. <laughs> Let's keep the mystery. Let's keep him on his toes. On I, think toes so. right? I think so. Um, so anyway, uh, the book is called The Man Who Wasn't There. And it's essentially this idea of sort of the self as represented um, or as interrupted, I should say, by mental illness or um, sort of mental health diagnoses. So he talks about he goes through a series of diagnoses. I won't go into all of them, but um, and and talks about how the self gets sort of fractured or or splintered. Um, For instance, he talks about sort of with Alzheimer's that yourself sort of almost sort of explodes like right it turns into all these pieces and people can only sort of get these pieces of their history these pieces of their their past and and the relationships around them and so you see fragments of that expressed you know fragments of the love that they might have for sailing or that the love or you know remembering like when they met their spouse but not being able to recognize them when they come into the room now like Mm -hmm. it's those those fragments um And another one that he talks about that's super interesting is this idea of um, I can't remember the the clinical name for it. I'm blanking on it. But it's it's basically this idea where you think that it's a person who believes that a limb is not should not be a part of their body. Oh, yes. I can't remember. I don't. I'm blanking, too. I can't remember the actual diagnostic term for it. Um, Yeah. You know what that means. When we can't remember, it's always in the show notes. Just look down below. It's probably there. Um, But I totally (laughs) know what you're talking about, where, like, people will genuinely believe, like, my arm is not my arm. Even though it's attached to me, it's like, it's some... It shouldn't be there. Yeah. It's someone else's arm, or it's, it's just this foreign thing that is somehow now attached to me. Right. And, and he talks about it in this sense, like basically our minds construct this idea of what our self is, or what our self includes. Mm-hmm. And it uses our body as a guide. Like it's not just what's happening in our brain. It's also using our body as a guide, as sort of a feedback mechanism of like, what is Esther? What is Erica? Like mm-hmm. what is our entire self? And for some reason that we don't fully understand the brain has sort of doesn't completely register one of our limbs or both. There are some people who will have like both their legs. Yeah. Um, it doesn't register that as part of yourself. So it keeps sending this message that this is like a foreign thing. Yeah. And it's like, this thing is, should not be there. This thing is foreign. You need to get rid of it. Like, so people get, sometimes they get them, their limb amputated and are happier afterwards even if they have to be sort of you know go through life with a disability it's better than their brain constantly sending them this message like this arm shouldn't be there yeah um and so it's super interesting it's totally fascinating and i i love how he's sort of 
the framework of it because I think so often especially with things like I mean that's clearly not a very common mental health diagnosis right but I think across the board when we talk about mental health or mental illnesses it just seems so foreign to people like it's so hard to sort of make an analogy with something that makes sense so we sort of have this concept of our brains as like just change the way you think about it and then everything it's better cool and that's not the whole picture like that's not really how it works for a lot of things so to me like that's a perfect explanation like the sort of physical body to me analogy would be like an autoimmune disorder Mm -hmm. you know where like the body has decided that you know like in arthritis or something the body's decided that like your joints are a foreign body and it attacks it right and so even though technically it's not there's this dynamic that's happening and I think inside the physical body like we can make sense of that and mm-hmm. I like that's such a good analogy for like basically what's happening like bas- essentially the brain is saying this leg isn't mine right and is from a psychological perspective attacking the leg right exactly it's not mine you've got to get rid of it got to get rid gotta, of it you know as the same way like internally it would be you know whatever happens yeah with an autoimmune disorder yeah, where it's like these disorder, tissues like or this yeah. whatever just shouldn't be here yeah and it then your immune here. system just starts attacking things that actually should be there and are you know would are otherwise healthy functioning things yeah yeah that's such a great uh framework i'm gonna have to get that i'm gonna read that i think that's really interesting and i always like people offering a fresh new ways to talk about mental health right because i think a lot of times that's just what's missing like it doesn't make if you haven't experienced it it's so hard to make sense of right um without kind of a new set of language or a new like paradigm fancy words today fancy words yeah (laughs) yeah a new sort of i think you know we respond well to stories and if there's something in a story that we can identify with Mm -hmm. like we can all understand we you know we all have a basic understanding of an autoimmune disorder we all have sort of an idea of like what the self is so it gives you something to sort of attach to yeah um to better understand these really complicated and difficult and sometimes very rare or weird processes mental health processes so um yeah the man who wasn't there super super interesting it sounds totally totally worth trying to figure out how to say this author's last name (laughs) (laughs) well you spelled it for everybody it's fine you can find it (laughs) oh it sounds good so let's talk therapist problems Yes. What do you got today? So I have a therapist problem this week that is a little weird, I guess. It's a very therapist-y therapist problem. <laughs> um. <laughs> They're not always super therapist-y. Some of them, it's like we're calling it a therapist problem, but let's face it, it's just like people problems. But today, problem. it's like extra therapist-y. Yeah, today's a little extra therapist-y. Like, um, so I, I kind of call it like this idea of like protecting my spirit. Um, like I've noticed as I get deeper into doing therapy, as I go along over time, I am more resistant to sort of art and media that is really difficult or really emotionally intense, Mm -hmm. um, that, you know, I'm, I'm kind of, I'm, I like like difficult books or difficult like movies. Like I like children of men, which is really sad. Um, you know, all kinds of things that are like sad, Mm -hmm. (laughs) frankly, and, and hard, like hard things to watch. But I've noticed that I'm having more trouble with that than I used to. We had talked about like I've been putting off seeing 12 Years a Slave 
Oh, we did talk about that. For yeah. forever. Yeah. Like, I want to see it, but I just am like, God, I'm going to have to be so, like, emotionally okay yes. to see it. And I just... I don't know if I don't know when I'm going to have that emotional space. Yeah, we did talk about that because I was like, yeah, I I haven't even gotten to the place of being of wanting to see it. Like yeah. intellectually, I want to see it because I, you know, like it's a great film. I mean, in the story and all of that. But yeah, from an emotional standpoint, I have zero desire. Yeah. And I think I think part of the issue is that as a therapist, you know, I don't feel like I get I've gotten asked. I'm sure you get asked all the time about like is it really hard to do this work? Mm -hmm. And I don't feel like it's hard. Like on a day-to-day basis, I don't feel like it's this super hard, super draining thing all the time. I really don't feel that way. But I think as a therapist, you make yourself emotionally vulnerable so much. Yes. And so, you know, so open to people's pain that then when you're sort of encountered, encountering like this difficult media I don't know. Maybe it's hard for me to turn it off sometimes. I, I definitely, I, I agree. First of all, it is definitely, I, I'm, I'm sure other people experience it, but it's definitely sort of an extra therapist problem because I, I have the same experience. And of course, being a total therapist, then I sort of turn inward and like, what is that? And why do I feel this way? But I do, I think there are a couple of things. And one is what I find, one, I have a hard time keeping those intense emotional scenes and storylines in the context of just being entertainment. Yeah. You know, and I think for a lot of people, and it's not so much that it's like, oh, I'm so entertained by people's pain, but, you know, for, I think a lot of people, you can go watch a movie and you experience it and you're fascinated by the story, but it stays in the context of that. And there are definitely some particular things that, like, I've either had a very memorable client or just a number of clients with certain issues that I watch that and it's very difficult, especially from like that whole family systems perspective for me to watch that and not only see the suffering on screen, but think about like the implications for that, for the family and Mm -hmm. their relationships. And, you know, the movie ends when somebody's like, you know, 18 and like, I think about what their life would be like at 35, three kids. And, and it, it is really hard to turn that off. Mm-hmm. And I think in the room, it's not difficult to sit with people's pain in part because I get to feel like I'm part of the healing. Right. Right. You know, I can't stop what happened to you, but I like you're here moving in a direction towards healing whatever's happened. And I get to be part of that process versus like I've just watched this like very traumatic movie and I'm totally helpless and I'm helpless and it makes me really like (laughs) sad and it's difficult and and I have come to realize that we also see things that a lot of other people don't see like you understand a deeper level of the impact of certain things that everybody you know other people are sort of like oh yeah it's kind of like have you seen Nightcrawler I haven't. You should see it. We've talked about this, that you're like, I really need to watch it. I just haven't gotten around to it. It's excellent. I mean, Nightcrawler is excellent, but I I had this experience watching it because it really, the way I would say it is that it shows like what a real sociopath is as opposed to like what we usually see these really dramatic versions like not in movies. the silence of the lamb no lecture no yeah. this is like what a real sociopath looks like in the world mm-hmm. and 
I was watching it with my husband and a good friend of mine, um, who's actually also blogged for us before. Oh. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And... I literally was squirming in my seat, like literally like squirming, sort of like, oh, my God, this is this is painful to watch. And they are just like looking at me like I'm a crazy person. Like you're being really weird right now. But for me, like watching him like, you know, I'm open to his emotional experience and feeling that sort of cut off that Mm -hmm. cut off that he's constantly sending this message of I am cutting off I really not having the full span of emotions. And when he is having them sort of cutting them off and. Like, I could feel it. Like, I could feel that. And it, it disturbed me to feel that. The actor does an amazing job. So, I highly recommend the movie. I need to see. I, but you, yeah. will, you will squirm in your seat. Like, I just was like, oh, God. I got to work my way up to it now. <laughs> Great. <laughs> I shouldn't have told you. I should have just let you see it. I promise I can't. Well, I'm sure it won't be as bad as 12 Years a Slave. I mean, that has a whole different set That's, of, yeah, it's of a whole issues. Other. This is more like just your emotional content makes me squirm as opposed to like my historical people like racial whatever makes me sort of want to cry yes so but yeah it's i definitely think that's uh it's some weird side effect of of doing therapy where you i think like as you said you're not in therapy the reason why it's you we can do it is because we have that sense that we're helping people that, that yeah. we're being we're more than just sort of listening listening yeah. to pain we're doing more than that yeah it's um, more than sort of being like aware right like i, I am not going to just watch your pain and suffering and and i feel like the more you do this job the less ability you have for that per- to be in that role of just saying like i'm just watching somebody else's painful story right I I have a really hard time doing that. And I think, you know, we've talked, to, you know, before about, you know, sort of that whole, like, getting caught in the in the corner at the party and hearing people stuff. But part of it is about, like, I can't just sort of... Turn off. To turn it. it off. Like, there right. is kind of, I think, um, yeah, which, which is, I think, a healthy boundary. You know, it's right. sort of like, <laughs> look at us magical therapists. Look what we can do. I actually think it's sort of a healthy boundary that is more difficult to maintain doing this kind of work yeah yeah i would agree that is totally a therapist problem (laughs) (laughs) oh well on that note uh i think we're wrapping it up today right yep i think that's everything well we will see uh we'll see (laughs) see or see here whatever um in the next episode you can obviously always find you know a list of future episodes and the archives at estherboykin.com backslash podcast also at conversationsoffthecouch.com backslash podcast and if you have questions or comments or you know whatever solutions for our therapist problems sure uh, you can email us on either of those websites you can also find us on twitter uh, I'm at Esther B M F T. there is an H in Esther like I feel like I, I need to say that <laughs> It's very rare that people spell, like, my name correctly. Oh. They spell it phonetically. It's biblical. It is, but, you know. But still no, huh? Still no. And (laughs) I will say, almost as frequently inside, like, like at church, like, people who are, I'm like, clearly you have a very, you know, like, you're reading the Bible and you have a Christian background or a Jewish background because it's, you know, it's a very Jewish name. Yeah. Um, And, no, they're not. Those people are just as likely to spell it wrong as anybody else. (laughs) Everyone who has no idea that it's even a biblical name. (laughs) (laughs) So um, that's always very interesting for me. Um, So anyway, it's at 
E-S-T-H-E-R-B-M-F-T. And you can find Erica on Twitter at... At GTA Therapist. And uh, you can find us back in your ear on the next episode. Yeah. So, what'd you think of today's episode? If you're listening in the Anchor.fm app, hit the button up at the top and leave us a message. You can also send us messages on Instagram or Twitter at EsterBMFT and at Ian Flats. You can send us your therapist problems, suggestions for read, listen, watch, or ideas for upcoming episodes. And with that being said, don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe. You can find us on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, and of course, Anchor.fm. Catch you in the next episode.